Hey, listeners, it is finally July 3rd, what? And a new episode of Talk With Me. And yeah, I am excited. For a variety of reasons, we've had a little break from new recordings. I miss doing it. I love doing this. I love meeting the artists in these conversations. I love that we get to share the conversations so it's not just a guest or two and me. I love hearing from people who say these podcasts are part of what get me through my my weeks, my months, my days, my years, you know, because they are different from I, I can't do an interview. It's kind of an interesting thing. I can't meet somebody and not ask some questions, but I never know what I'm going to ask. So, well, a couple of things I know I'm going to ask. But anyway, so here we get to do sort of the personal side of art and community, and we get to talk and show how art can really bring people together, can open minds, can help people stay alive during complicated times, can help people think about things that maybe they weren't going to think about, but they happen to see it in this painting or hear it in these words at the mic or on the page. I mean, art is so, so, so important. Here I am. I'm the social worker who works mainly with helping people want to stay alive because life is so, so hard. They're not sure they want to. And I believe in the power of art. I know that it saves lives very literally. And I know that it also sometimes nudges people because you hear the story, however you hear it, in terms of whether it's through a sculpture or a painting or a production of, on theater, whatever. You, you hear this story and you think about things that you would not maybe be thinking about if somebody tried to give you a little talk about the data on blah, 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 blah. It's like, who cares? But you, you get to think about it through the lens of people and their experiences. So I am super excited that in some sense, we're going to get to be at the beginning of a bus ride <laughs> with this guest because he's going to be bringing poetry in this caravan, which I think is awesome, part of his adventures in poetry. So I want to welcome, like, yeah, so tell me who you're talking with today. I'm going to welcome from Buffalo, New York. I have this vision of a wrestling ring because we watch Glow with Mark Marin. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm going to welcome Julio Montavo Valentin. Julio, welcome. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a weirdo. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to be a weirdo these days. Definitely. <laughs> oh gosh. So, so you're in Buffalo, New York, or nearby, right? Is that? Yes, yes. I'm I'm dead center of uh, Buffalo, New York, right. and it's very beautiful here today. Oh, all right, all right. There's lots of art going on around you guys, huh? Oh, we we are oversaturated with art here uh, we have readings on top of readings almost every other day um and just many people just up at arms ready to you know fight the good fight with their art and mm -hmm. uh it's it's beautiful to see it flourish um in these last couple of years uh, not yeah. to say that it hasn't been but um in my experience uh seeing so many uh young poets and writers and artists um just constantly support each other and thrive mm -hmm. and uh, older generations constantly um, promoting these younger artists. It's just, it's an amazing thing to see. Yeah, that's cool. It's, it's so interesting to me when, when I realize that, you know, even in, in the connections that I have through this podcast, that, that there are at, I would say three generations of poets in particular who I talk to periodically. And now I'm going to give a shout out. And this is my pressure thing because I so want this to happen to Scott Silsby. Scott Silsby, when we <laughs> recorded the last time, we were talking about, he has this poem, and I always get the name a little wrong, but the poem to me is the concept for an anthology. The poem is about older poets telling stories to younger poets and younger poets telling the stories that older poets told them, you know? And, mm. and it's like, I, I want that, that thing, that 
to happen as an anthology. I want those people who have those multi-generational poetic links, you know, to be able to be represented in a volume. Um, not that they all will be, but I mean, I think about people who I've had the, the privilege to, to meet and the amazing stories of people who are still writing poetry, people like Bill Gaynor and in my community, Jim McCrary, who've been writing poetry and been part of the, the poetry scenes from the 60s, you know? And so, yeah. you know, when, they're, when they mention Allen Ginsberg, they're talking about a friend. <laughs> just talking about somebody's <laughs> book they've read, you know? It's like, oh my God, this is so cool. And then I don't know how well, if you've ever met Rob Plath. Rob Plath, it will be coming to um, Fountainverse, KC's Small Press. And oh, Fox. yes. Rob's. Yes, I, I know of Rob, and I look forward to finally meeting him in person. Yeah. Uh, well, Rob, one of his teachers, one of his literal teachers at university was Allen Ginsberg. You know, so it's like, oh, my God, this, all this stuff is so cool. Anyway, ramble, ramble, ramble. I want to hear about you. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> and I want our listeners to hear about you. So Marcia, shut up and let him talk. So give us a little bit of background about sort of just some things about who you are. And then, you know, throughout the conversation, we'll hear more about sort of how you got to be doing some of the things you do and what they mean to you. And of course, hearing some of your poetry. So, so Julio Montalvo <laughs> Valentin, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> who am I? That is a good question. <laughs> I think I'm still writing today in an attempt to answer that very same question. Uh-huh. Um, but who I am today right now, um, I'm a Puerto Rican poet, uh, was born in Detroit, Michigan, has traveled around, has lived around the country, and has settled here in Buffalo for the last 10 years now. And uh, ever since I've been here, I've always uh, felt the yearning for some kind of means of saying who I am or communicating my identity. And uh, it was only until I started going through uh, college when I started connecting with uh, other individuals and forming a press uh, with really good friends um, that I've found me today. Uh, And now I am part of uh, a few groups, one in particular, uh, Los Artistas de Barrio, which is dedicated to the Latinx and Hispanic arts here in Buffalo, New York. I'm connected with a, a few other organizations here in Buffalo as well, um, just trying to promote community and um, bring awareness to the need of voice, mm-hmm. especially uh, marginalized voices, yes. um, especially in this day and age. Yes. Um, and so that's, that's who I am uh, right this moment. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a, a philosopher of rice, um, a tree hugger. Wait, you're a philosopher of rice? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, one of the things that uh, people have uh, come to know of me as a, is this guy who loves rice. I love rice for many reasons. Um, <laughs> I, I pray to the gods of rice. This is, and, and later today, you'll, you're, you'll hear uh, a, a piece that I've written to, to rice itself. So... <laughs> Uh, one of the one of the projects that I have going on for this summer is actually uh, a philosophy uh, research paper on the ideologies behind rice, um, which ironically has there's thousands and thousands of years of um, dedication to like the idea of a rice as a religion. So this is very interesting to me because I always have these weird experiences that that is like oh, they connect okay so so rice so to me when I think of rice at this moment I think about this experience last October where we have a retreat for people who've lost loved ones to suicide we have this retreat at this wonderful beautiful peaceful full of love rural property called the light center and huh. we always you know, we're there all, all day and, and late in the night and overnight. And so, of course, there has to be food. And so when we were eating the dinner, one of the, a, a woman who's probably in her 20s, who was there helping and, and, to, and had led a yoga class and some other things with us, um, she looked at me and she said, so 
did you bring the rice? And I said, well, I cooked it here. She said, how did you cook it? And I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, there's no rice cooker. And I was like, oh, I cooked it in a pot with a lid. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> wow Uh, (laughs) oh gosh (laughs) no offense to people who use rice cookers but it's like well obviously there are ways of cooking before rice cookers (laughs) i and i i you know to each their own just i i just can't see how rice can taste delicious in a rice cooker it, it, it requires a certain element of patience and care. Yeah, um, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the philosophy of rice. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you know it and it stems into a lot of what I've been writing uh, about in the last couple of years. And I it's just only recently that I've realized how much uh, my life is influenced on rice itself just the idea of rice as a commodity um uh-huh. and its origins in latin america as not something being uh natural in, in its uh beginning uh-huh. it, it speaks a lot about like the colonialism and today's like the imperialism that we that we puerto ricans are facing on the uh-huh. island today um and so hopefully uh for the forthcoming uh chapbook with uh night valley press that book would uh, stem into a lot of these issues with rice. That's very cool. That is very cool. And I know you and I were talking before we were um, recording. Night Ballet Press, if there's anybody who's listening who is not familiar with Night Ballet Press, go look online, find the page. This is the amazing press of Diane Borsenek. Mm-hmm. It and she creates books of such beauty that you not only want to look at the website and see the titles, order a book from Night Ballet Press. Have that book to hold in your hands and see what we mean. Beautiful, beautiful to look yeah. at, to hold, to, to get to read and reread. And, in a, and just this wonderful set of poets, you know, different poets at different times, so many different people, different types of poetry, and it's always so beautiful. So I'm really excited for you that you're doing this with Diane. That's really cool. I I, I am very honored to, to be able to um, have a chapbook through, through Diane and just haven't um, touched by her quality, her dedication to the craft itself. I... I only look forward to what comes out of it, yeah. um, especially as someone who has uh, several uh, books from Night Valley Press. Uh, some of my favorites uh, are through Joey Nicoletti, um, who is she? Who she has published? Just amazing quality books. I mean, talk about long-lasting books that are meant to last forever. These are that quality. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And, I, and I'm always the one who reminds people, you know, so many people we know are dropping dollars all the time at fancy coffee shops or mm-hmm. buying fancy bottled beer. It's like, so don't buy a few beverages, two, three beverages, and buy a book, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Support the artist. Yes. Support it. Because, I mean, to be a poet is not to be rich or to be... Um, someone who's like super wealthy uh, rather support the ones who are out there trying to voice something uh new something that people don't want to talk about or unable to say something about Uh, poets are the reporters of our day in in my opinion yes they're they are constantly jumping into these battlefields of topics and images and reporting back um, all these things that we are neglected to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. That's that's really important what you're saying, and and it's a it's kind of a label of what a lot of contemporary poets are doing, and an ongoing challenge because we need those voices, we need those words, we need people to be raising our awareness and motivating us 
to do things that need to be done, say things that need to be said. And sometimes we need to laugh, so there can be silly poems and fun poems. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there, I, I, tend to find, uh, I tend to find poems that lean on some uh, humor and some uh, sadness to be uh-huh. like the perfect e- equilibrium for uh, a poem. Uh, a poem that can touch you in many ways is a, is a poem worth paying attention to. Yeah, yeah. I have so many things that I'm wanting us to talk about, but I actually wonder if now you would be willing to share some poetry. Oh, I, of, of course. Uh, I would uh, like to start with uh, a rice poem. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, this poem is, uh, it, it mirrors uh, 13 ways of looking at a blackbird by Wallace Stevens. And so this is called 13 Ways of Looking at Rice. One, rice uncooked is a tragedy, but begal is a delicacy. Two, rice is proof that colonialism is still alive when you kneel. Three, rice without sofrito does not carry shame, but no salt is blasphemy. I have not once seen God cook. If so, rice would be testament of her love. Five. Baptism is when canola oil snaps, reddening the skin. Six. The first time I prayed to rice, there was a downpour in St. Louis. Seven. The road paved by rice is a blessing on those walking for love. Eight. When Lubriel died, we saved a bowl of rice, praying he doesn't go hungry again. Nine. The circle of life is also known as the rim of the Oya. Ten. When the buildings fell, I sunk my skull into rice hoping it'll dry out the tears. 11. The body of rice can only be softened through the patience of the heart. 12. I saw rice today in the shape of light breaking through the clouds. 13. For every grain of rice, I am grateful it was not a bullet. You took us all over with that. That was amazing, Julio. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And and just for the listeners, um, there's two words that I I said. Uh, one word, begal, which is a delicacy, a rice delicacy. It's the uh, when you cook rice in a <laughs> on a stove top in a in a pan in a giant uh, pan. On the bottom of the right, on the bottom of the pan is like crunchy rice, which is often not like called pegal. It's a delicacy. It's delicious, and it's, in my opinion, it's meant to be uh, good fortune. You're supposed to um, enjoy it because uh, you never know when you're going to be able to eat again, uh, and not wasting it. It's it's a blessing. Uh-huh. Uh, Another word that I said uh, is oya, which is the, like the pan, the, the giant uh, pan you would cook your, your rice in. Uh-huh. That's and cool. you, just, you just can't enjoy rice on a stovetop like this. I mean, uh, in a, a, a rice cooker. Uh, cooker. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not the same. I, the, my poem wouldn't have been anything if people just wrote, ate rice out of a rice cooker. It, just, it wouldn't be the same. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Was rice a common part of your meals growing up? Oh, every day. Um, there, um, there's not a day that I do not eat rice. I mean, uh, I I grew up uh, very poor. I grew up in and. I grew up in conditions that are not exactly favorable for anyone to live in, but um, I still see those uh, times as uh, worth 
experiencing. I appreciate all the life lessons I've learned through it. And Mm -hmm. through all of it, I've always had rice uh, at the end of the day. Um, There was always a bowl of rice at home um, ready to um, fill me up and get me ready for the next day. Uh Uh, Yeah, I, I, I think if I... If I really boil down to it, if it really boils down to it, rice has been probably one of the main things that have kept me alive, literally, figuratively, spiritually. Mm-hmm. And you, you've mentioned your Puerto Rican roots. So I would love to have you tell us more about that, what that means to you. I, um, it, it's interesting because uh, our last, the last time we spoke, I, I spoke a bit about um, um, about being deaf and uh, learning sign language as my first language, and um, Spanish was the second, and English is the third, which is, the, my opinion, really hard to um, perfect. Um, but yeah, uh, growing up um, as a as a Puerto Rican, it's interesting. Um, because the, my skin complexion um, can pass for any other kind of ethnicity um, when you're blended in this melting pot of a country. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, someone as, with my complexion is often not judged immediately. Um, and it's, it's scary because last year uh, I did a, a road trip with another poet and um, I did research on what it means to travel the country as a as a Latin poet, as a, mm-hmm. a Latinx poet, as a Puerto Rican poet. And in my research, in my research, I found that it, it's the same no matter what city you go to. That there will always be this bias um, that you're going to be presented with just from face value. Um, there was many moments where uh, I was kind of shunned upon from going into a store or um, looked suspiciously um, because I've had a complexion that people weren't com- uh, completely comfortable with. At one point in the road trip, actually, um, a study had just came out saying that uh, 50% of the country do not realize that Puerto Ricans are citizens. Right. And this is in the middle of me on the road. This is, I'm in somewhere in, uh, in Colorado, and I stop at a gas station and uh, the other poet who was traveling with me recognized that uh, I was using my ID with every purchase, mm-hmm. every purchase I was making, and was curious as to why. And he, him, uh, as a, a white male, um, never had um, this moment of being questioned uh, who you are or have to uh, present your identification um, whenever you make a purchase. And this happened the entire um, summer. And I thought it was just a very normal thing that you're supposed to, anytime you purchase gas, you show your ID with your debit or credit card or, or sometimes with the cash and just make sure that you're, you're supposed to be able to do something like this. And I, I didn't know. And I come home and I feel different. I come home and I realize that there's some things um, that have been happening all over the country that has been happening right here in my home in Buffalo, New York. Um, and so as a Puerto Rican poet, I, I thought, well, if I, I'm, I'm already writing about voice um, and I'm already a part of a, a community that has been very supportive of me. How can I give back? And so I decided to join uh, some organizations with some that I mentioned earlier and, um, and constantly um, try to support the artists that are here already um, the marginalized voices that need to be heard mm-hmm. and the process of it all. And then, of course, the bus that I purchased earlier this year, mm-hmm. um, all in an attempt to kind of like bring more awareness and bring more poetry, um, bring more diversity into the scene that we are still lacking. Mm-hmm. That's that's powerful. I mean, just thinking about your experience, your assumption that you have to verify that basically you're legally 
here in this country. <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's, it's it is, it, and, it, and it still happens. Uh, just the other day, me and another Puerto Rican poet, we were both uh, driving um, on the highway, Buffalo being very close to the border. Um, I happened to make a wrong turn and I landed on one of the bridges that crosses to Canada. I didn't have my passport on me, nor did I have my um, enhanced license on me. Um, and mind you, I am a shade that's still very questionable to our government of today. And so I'm stuck at the border uh, with another Puerto Rican poet. And the first thing they ask is, what are you doing here? And I say, oh, I, I made a wrong turn. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to a poetry meeting. <laughs> and uh, the border uh, patrol agent says, poetry? Uh, what's poetry? Uh, what, what do you do at a poetry <laughs> meeting? Yeah, and so I, I had to actually uh, prove that I was a poet wow. and, and prove that I was a citizen by like saying, oh, I, uh, I used to run a press here. I live in such and such. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I had to straighten my back. I had to um, uh, clear my throat and seem like a, like a model citizen of some sort, which is still, it's sad that, I, that it has to come to that. If but you I, use the word sad, I think it's infuriating. I imagine you feeling terrified. And oh, I, I, I was very nervous. I was very yeah. scared. Yeah. <laughs> and um, even worse, I couldn't remember any poems. <laughs> and so I, I gave the guy the, one of the worst poems I've ever read, the only poem I could seem to remember at the time. Mm -hmm. And he, he gives me this very questionable look. Mm -hmm. um, and he starts typing down, doing whatever he needs to do. And right before he starts asking us to get out the vehicle, um, he, uh, my uh, passenger um, by the name of Rachel Robes, Puerto Rican poet, um, starts reading her poem um, called American Love Story. And it wows both uh, agents on either side of the car. And they give a round of applause and they, they love it. And they let us go. And it was a moment where we were very scared and felt very lucky that we got through. Yeah. It, it was, and it, it's an interesting, it was an interesting moment uh, where we not only had our, <laughs> our heritage questioned for just a second, like if we even belonged here, um, but two, our, our, um, ability to be an a be a poet or to prove that we are poets um i, I think i failed at that moment <laughs> i was uh, <laughs> i was definitely nervous and definitely yeah. scared but um it is definitely something that happens every single day and i'm sure i'm not the only one that goes through this yeah and and that's something we all need to know you know and and i think at a very different but to me an impactful conversation i had actually with my husband and this terrible thing of the caged, incarcerated children. There was a news piece that I was I watched, um, and it it seemed to me very credible about this particular site, and it was uh, a big tent facility, and the um, the legislator I can't remember right now who sh who she was, but. Who had, who had been able to visit this place that actually it's well air conditioned that the kids have um, at this point, there's lots of access to medical care and other support. There's bottled water, there's really good food. This particular place right now is actually safe. You know, not that we're glad that the kids are there, but at least this set of kids are not in cages. They are in this, this thing that is, is um, pretty good care. And my husband said, why didn't Trump send those to Puerto Rico? It's like, yeah. Why, why did not send the kids, send that facility? Why wasn't that the response to the devastation in Puerto Rico? Let's get people safe. Let's get generators. Let's get bottled water. Let's do all these things. Take care of the people of Puerto Rico. And, and, our, and our president doesn't, doesn't value that, as we know. So I'm, I'm just saying, for me, as a person of light skin, I need to hear those stories. I need those reminders um, that 
that there is such pervasive racism. Oh, that, it, yeah. it 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 is so it it is it's so out in the open that it it's become this thing that you expect to see in the background. It's like uh, uh, seeing the same crime or seeing the same story over and over again, or hearing the same poem over and over again, and just not paying attention to it anymore. And I think that's what happened um, when everything happened, uh, when Hurricane Maria hit the island, um, that we saw this like commotion on the, in the media, uh, but the government just like immediately switched the, um, the attention to something else. And, right. um, and then uh, obviously this m- misunderstanding of what Puerto Rico is exactly. Um, the Puerto Rican is a commonwealth um, territory. It is essentially a colony, still a colony um, of the United States um, after 1898. And that's after the Treaty of Paris. And so we, we had a choice back then to be exploited with or without privilege. That is to say that we are able to come to the island um, not like a lot of other uh, Caribbean um, islands uh, or a lot of Caribbean people out there. That being said, uh, the ways in which like the Puerto Rico has been able to support itself is, is slowly diminished over time as all these taxations, all these private institutions have con- gone to Puerto Rico and claimed so much of its territory, so much of its wealth for its own. Plus, we have to uh, remember that there are some uh, some bills in place that stop Puerto Rico from trading with anyone else, and that all its imports and exports go through the U.S. itself. And so, all those things are being taxed each and every time. And so, there's this giant debt that immediately built up, this debt that shouldn't exactly exist, a debt that says. Um, I am your colonizer, and therefore you must pay tribute kind of tax. And so here we are after Hurricane Maria hit, and we have a president that says, oh, they, they'll be fine, everything's good, um, and just very little support in the, in the meantime that they have to do it themselves. Right. I, think, I think it's a very irresponsible thing when you have a colony that you colonized a long time ago, and you don't take the responsibility of taking care of the people that are there. Yes. Meanwhile, denying uh, denying Puerto Rico the ability to represent itself in Congress at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a lose lose situation for Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we have a president that just doesn't understand that history. That being said, yes, Puerto Rico is still in a very, very, very dangerous um, position right now. There's still a lot of people, a lot of them, a lot of the land still needs help. People need help there. And we are just barely getting by there. This summer, I I had every intention to go this month, actually, uh, to dedicate to helping rebuild and uh, dedicate uh, my, my own time and resources to uh, putting up solar panels and uh, constructing homes back together. But my own family in, in Puerto Rico decided to tell me, wait, don't come right now because it's scary. There's illness that's spreading uh, around in certain parts of the, um, the uh, island. Uh, you're not sure if you're going to be able to get back because flights Many people are moving out of the island for safer conditions, healthier conditions. Um, we're talking about people who are still struggling to put food on the table, mm-hmm. struggling to make a phone call or make it down this road that's blocked by all rubble. And yet we don't see that still on the news. Right. People are were so focused on the storm, they never focus on the people and the foundation of what's left. And that's why I find myself writing more about uh, rice and more about Puerto Rico, because I can't help but find that I need to say something or else they'll just go silent like everything else. Uh That being said, I 
do have a poem um, for the lives that we know so far that have been lost um, to Hurricane Maria on the island. A number in which was uh, miscalculated by FEMA by however they did it. A number they assumed was in the teens and that is now in the thousands. Mm -hmm. The poem is called For the 4,645 plus lives buried under the blue line. Ayúdame. Yo soy la luz. Churning in ravines blurred under stars, plant oceans too stretched to become tangible for cup and morphine. Ayúdame. Finger spell strokes of your name in reflection that both haunt and bless the willing. Here in spaces too tall. Here in thoughts too deep. Here are tears washed out to skip like stones for attention. That's beautiful that you are writing and encouraging people to think. And I want to ask you, what are some things that you would encourage people to do? Some action for people who are hearing this going, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about those kids. I forgot about Puerto Rico. What What would you tell them that they they could do now? Get up. If if you if you feel the need to make a change, if you think that standing by and waiting to see what happens is going to make a difference, then you are a fool. You, by definition, you are a fool because. There are already systems in place that make sure that people who don't do anything, people who are complacent to the way that the world is working, um, to continue making sure that the world works that way. And it only changes. Things only change when people get up and do something, whether it's sending a package, whether it's um, promoting the arts, whether it's getting up and speaking and, and standing up for your fellow person, whether it's standing up to your government and actually saying that, no, this is wrong. Those are simple things, but require courage. Courage is something that we need desperately in this time. Above anything else, we need people to stand because there's many that are out there who are unable to stand right now. Kids who are in cages, adults, parents that are in cages that are unable to stand for themselves. I mean, we, we're at a point right now where we're sending kids to represent themselves in court, yes. in deportation, um, in immigration court. What, what sense does that make in this world? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But people who are just sitting by and just watching this happen and saying, well, good thing it's not my kids. Well, Tell you what, eventually they'll come for you too. They always do. This is the way that uh, every other dictator has always managed to control its people by slowly dwindling the forces. And so I tell people, get up and do something. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you feel like you need to make a change, be the change. Mm-hmm. Simply be the change. And you'll see what happens then. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, this is something that I recognize that as a white person, as a white heterosexual person, I, I have the opportunity to use the privilege that I have to try to get other people to consider things. You know, I can be heard. I, I, I often see myself as my goal is to hold a door open for somebody who has less privilege, not mm-hmm. to speak for them, but to help make it easier for them to have that access. So yeah, pro- providing the, the platform itself yeah. is exactly what would, would change so many things in this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that people don't understand the idea of what 
immigration is or the or the fact that uh, a lot of people don't understand the history of the country in terms of like the borderlands for example um and how the why the people uh, in mexico and all these other countries are trying to migrate here there is a lot of lack of information that is out there yet we still have media um, outlets and people in positions of power that refuse to acknowledge or rather silence uh, all those things so that Mm -hmm. they keep people in order in their order Mm -hmm. um but like this particular platform itself being able to speak on this platform is already a step forward for for all those listeners out there at least you get to hear my story my my output my input in this and hopefully hopefully this change people Right. And that's all we can do. We could hope, yeah. but at least we're taking action. Right. Yes, yes, yes. And so for you, poetry and your bus will be that vehicle, <laughs> you know? And, and indeed. I mean, I uh, one thing I've noticed um, so far in my time as a poet um, is that you can write poetry at home. And there's no shame in that. I mean, we have many greats like Emily Dickinson who rarely went out to uh, publicize or read in venues, just simply wrote. But now we're in a time where people need to be heard. And it just requires that little bit of courage. And so for those who do have that courage, they may not have the the means to make it to another platform uh, to present themselves or to be able to be heard. And so that's where my idea of the bus came through. Um, originally, it was supposed to be a tiny home, but eventually it became this uh, idea of a poetry caravan. Um, I bought a mini school bus in January of this year, and uh, it's almost uh, done. It's almost converted into uh, a tiny home slash reading space of some sort. And the idea is that when it's done, I'd be able to facilitate uh, groups of poets from Buffalo or maybe other cities and travel to other places to continue to expand on this idea of diversity across the country in reading. And that's not to say there's a lack of it, but we are definitely in need of more. There's there's no question that as as much as, you know, as I keep saying, it's, I'm a white heterosexual person, um, and I know a very, very large number of white heterosexual male poets. Um, and I do not take away from them in terms of their gifts and their passion and their compassion, but I also am aware that we of white skin can fill a room and not leave space for other people. And that's part of what I mean by my my personal effort to open doors, you know, that mm-hmm. that we have, I as a person of, of white skin and privilege have to be willing that's, that's an important part for me is to move out of the way and help somebody else. And so like I, I when I talk about guests for the show, I mean, my, my hope is to, to have a diverse set of poets, whatever kind of artists I'm talking with. I love here in Lawrence, Kansas, our local independent bookstore, the Raven Bookstore, mm-hmm. um, Danny Kane, who's a poet and the owner of the store, um, starting the past a year ago, you know, one of his goals with the many readings that they have at the store is to highlight people who are in more vulnerable populations, you know, to not fill the rooms, not, not have the mic be uh, taken by only white male and female heterosexual people, but to really give space for everybody. And, and that's, that's so important. And, and so, I, you know, there are these things that are happening that I realized we need to do more of that. Those of us who can make those things happen need to do that more and more. Indeed, indeed. And it's, it's you, you touched up on, on something that I, I, that I wanna uh, speak a little about. It, it's um, the fact that we 
we we live in a time where still most of these uh, poetry spaces are controlled uh, by people of white skin. That's not a bad thing nor a good thing or anything. Rather, it's something worth paying attention to. Mm-hmm. So when you when you go to a venue and it speaks of diversity, or if you go to a press and it speaks of diversity, does it actually mirror that? Does it mirror the population around it? And if so, then it's good. If not, then what are they, what are they saying? What lens are they are operating in in which they think that what they're operating in is diversity? Mm-hmm. Uh, so and last year when I traveled around, I've noticed and many of the spaces um, that I've, I've read in were not diverse. Were actually the complete opposite, mm-hmm. and very lack of uh, outreach to other communities of diverse communities at that. And yet, we still have places that are thriving. Like Oakland has uh, incredible diverse um, scene in poetry. Uh, Kansas City, for example, Chicago, uh, Dallas. Buffalo, we, we're having, we, we are seeing these diverse groups coming out. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I, I feel that we still need more, especially when we're dealing in times in which we're constantly seeing people being silent. Mm-hmm. We, need be, we need more people just constantly to speak up, read yes. a poem, don't be scared. I mean, we're all scared, but at least we'll do it together. Cool. So I'm thinking we're recording today on July 3rd. That means tomorrow is that odd day of July 4th. But (laughs) one of the special things about July 4th is it's also your birthday. (laughs) So happy almost birthday, Julio. And how, how as you, the person you are, how will you celebrate you that is a good question (laughs) i uh i will most likely be writing poetry and spending time uh with my closest friends um i'll be spending time with uh my friend uh my closest friend misty and jenny um and we will be uh sitting back probably having a couple of cold ones and enjoying the fireworks and I'm sure I'll write a poem out of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's exactly how I plan on celebrating my birthday in peace and and with good company. Uh-huh. I'm thinking it'd be a good day to stay away from any national media. I don't really oh. know somebody's. <laughs> oh, I, that's a. Yeah, I do that every day. I wake up and I tell myself, all right, pay attention. What areas are being affected? Stay away from them. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I, I sometimes feel like I got to walk around with a police scanner just so I can know, okay, there's, a, there's been an attack on someone like in my description. Oh, yeah. stay away from this area. Uh-huh. <laughs> And you say that and laugh, and yet you're saying it truthfully, that that's, that's a reality for you and a lot of people. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, one, one thing I say is that I've, I feel much safer around my people, people who have, who have grown up or were lived in the conditions I've grown up in. Yeah. I feel much safer with them than I would in places of, like, uh, of high income where the authorities are most likely to identify me as a suspect yeah. as opposed to a visitor of some sort. And it, it happens all the time. I get yeah. pulled over once in a while just because driving while brown. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is disheartening, but at the same time, I, it is a reality that I right. cannot be mad at. Rather, I can only hope to make a change and hopefully the next generation wouldn't have to deal with it and maybe the next one after that it'll only become history yeah and and it takes people again with light skin like me to be part of making that change happen i think about a, a something that a friend in new york shared recently um she and her husband are both white and their kids are black and she was talking about her daughter's 16th birthday and how her daughter had wanted this certain 
um, jean jacket, uh, which I, I can't think of jean jackets without thinking of the poet Charles Joseph, but that's another story. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I, you, you had me there too, because I, I remember Charles, every time I've seen him, he's always had a jean jacket. So yeah. I, <laughs> well, well, Amy's, Amy's comment was she was talking to her daughter about this jacket and how the jacket has a lot of pockets, including pockets that are on the inside. And she'd said to her daughter, you know, um, that might be a good place for your phone because it's less likely to just fall out of your pocket there. And her daughter looked at her and said, people like me get killed for pulling their phones out of their pockets, mom. Mm. Like, wow. And, you know, it's chilling and true. So there you go. Yeah, I, there's a there's a poet here in in Buffalo uh, by the name of Kevin Thurston who um, recently came out with this coloring slash poetry book um, called Color Me White. It, he uh, addresses the fact that he is white and the privileges that came along with it and the problems with those privileges, and it, and it comes with with the humor, uh, but it also comes with the reality of of this particular thing, this notion of whiteness, not white people, but rather whiteness in the sense of uh, capitalism, in the sense of privilege, in the sense of this country. Uh-huh. And so it, throughout his poems, he, he continues uh, to address that along with his own personal um, biases. And it's, and it's incredible. It's something I, I'm, I see that I hope that more people create. Um, things that are stemming from their own history, their own life, and then addressing those things and not being complacent with these um, issues that you've been blindly following. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, if you ever get a chance to, um, and if you're a fan of coloring, <laughs> it definitely, it, it's through Blaze Vox, um, uh, the press here uh-huh. in Buffalo, and uh, called Color Me White by Kevin Thurston. All right. I'll have to look. Yeah. It's, for it's, me, it, I always think about some points. I, I thought, well, I don't know that it's any better, but I used to take some comfort in, in knowing that my parents were first-generation Americans. So at least my family directly, my blood family, was not involved with all of the atrocities in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, think think of uh, like even the notion of what's American. It's ridiculous yeah, today. I know <laughs> it is ridiculous. We, we're seeing we're seeing speeches. We're seeing rallies yeah. by these people who who are seeing the idea. Of, I mean, the uh, identity of what it means to be an American as something that's mm-hmm. always been a part of this land. Yeah. When I Amer- I from what I remember growing up in history, how I was taught by my own people that to be American was to be one of many immigrants who are helping to build this country. Uh And yet we don't see that in the news. We don't see that being portrayed all that much anymore. We, yes, we see people resisting, but we don't see everyone standing up for this idea of like what it means to be uh, an American here in this day and age. And yet we see people being, kicked out of our country. We see people uh, being murdered on a, on a daily basis. We see people harshly judging others. Yeah. And yet ignorantly believing this fallacy of, of what it means to be an American. Yeah. And so and, that's and why he, we need art. You know, that's exactly. people like you doing what you're doing and getting getting more people thinking and realizing and then acting, not just passively listening, but acting. Exactly. Even if it means just writing a poem, Mm -hmm. even if it's just that. So my goofy mind is going back to your bus, and I'm wondering, is your bus (laughs) getting... Any decoration on the outside? <laughs> well, uh, I, I've had a few suggestions, and so far, uh, I have yet to decorate the outside, but so far, uh, a ladybug is one of the things that uh, was uh, suggested, and most likely um, 
going to happen, but I'm, I'm open to any other um, ideas. Um, and because I'm doing it all on my own, I'm, I, I do all the work on myself. Um, I'm hoping to, to make sure that the image of the bus represents who I am so that mm-hmm. wherever I go, people know who's coming into town. Right. Um, and so I thought of Ladybug. Uh, I thought of um, a Koki, which is the, the Puerto Rican frog. Um, I even thought about the magic school bus <laughs> and mm-hmm. dressing up as Miss Frizz. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't had any other suggestions though for the image of the bus. Well, the obvious is that your bus must proclaim rice. <laughs> oh no! There, I've already installed a, 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 unfortunately, a rice cooker because I can't. <laughs> yes, yes, I've, I, I've, I've talked all that smack earlier about the rice cooker, but in this case, it works <laughs> for a tiny home. Um, and I, I do have a, a, a small um, coat of rice for this way. No matter where I go, I'll have that. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it's unfortunate I couldn't get a stove, but uh, yeah. <laughs> rice cooker, oh no. <laughs> I have to have rice somehow. So right. you do, you do, you do. So how about another poem as we're getting close to the end of an hour? I would love to to encourage people to hear more and then be ready to go in the fall to Night by Light Press and buy this as yet unnamed book. How about another poem from you? Ah, um, this this poem is just a, a, a bit longer. Um, it's a, it's an older poem, but um, it is still relevant, and I, I look for. I look forward to the day that it no longer is. It's called, if you miss the shuttle, call a taxi cab. On a Liberty cab ride to school, a speaker on NPR announced through the car stereo that a nearby galaxy, just 39 light years away, about the distance between us and humanity's compassion these days, could have seven Earths. Seven whole freaking Earths. That's one for every mega corporation that can afford to go on government tax breaks and souls that they have collected thus far. After all, only the affluent have the power of spare change for space travel and the, and the pejorative sense of humanity anyway. So we can only hope that the belly of the machine that controls us goes hungry, if only to bring back those souls. Maybe when it all goes down, we can grease up our hands and rebuild again and again and again until change is inevitable and inherent, unlike healthcare and government cheese. We can do that. But until then, the well-to-do kings will be coming, looking to plunge and plunder new lands like heaven, Valhalla, Isilium, Mitlan, any place unmangled under the misconstrued because dollar signs are easier to read and figure count for worth protest signs for environmental protection and change. They already got Narnia. Yes, the CGI is amazing and the land there is abundant with resources, but none of that is for sale because it's trademarked and already controlled by four privileged kids where the girls are constantly undermined by the boys trying to be heroes with all their anchor issues in all of the movies, just like how Hollywood likes it. The Liberty cab driver chuckles and says, finally, we can leave, since this world has gone to shit. I knew where he was going with this, so I didn't respond, because it's all so scary for people like him and I now more than ever. Sometimes, the silence keeps it away, like I-C-E, like ice, like space. The two of us laugh once more and play it off as an awkward taxi cab professional. But then I saw opportunity shining bright in the driver's eyes. Opportunity like a new start for his family filled with a new generation to rebuild. 
a new nation, a new society, a new rules that could set the new times on a new earth, with new air, new water, after a new journey. He came here looking for a new life promised under the American Dream Act. He came here looking for that with his family. But quickly realized the only new here is discount fast food, music, and products lining the aisles of Walmart. I looked again at his glistening, hopeful eyes. After all, only the cockroaches and the poor migrate and survive. I guess the prosperous can only make it so long as money is the key to keep them dreaming, as Kanye would say. At my destination, I pulled out a 20 plus tip and thanked the man for the ride and poem. He said, I'm grateful, sir. I hope we meet again in the stars. If not, call me and I'll take you there. That is so relevant right now. And so that. I want to ask you, when did you write this poem? Uh, I wrote this um, in one of the first instances of, of uh, ICE, um, ICE movement uh, and towards um, people of, of, of my background or people of, uh, from uh, other countries uh, of Latin descent. And this was uh, written uh, early, early last year early last year and i and i thought you know after our after we've um had a new president and um this npr um announcement of the 39 light years away that this um galaxy has these worlds that we can um travel to the only ones who were interested in going to that was the affluent the, the rich and there was even a notion from the president at the time trump um who wanted to go uh, and like travel there, and now we now we're in a time where he actually is projecting this notion of a space force that he wants to invest in, and we still have ICE um, still subjecting many people on unlawfully and wrongfully, and and we still have people like this Liberty cab driver who just barely made it and was hoping for a new life, and now is fearful that he may have to go back to an old one. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, I mean, in the rule of survival, the poor always migrate and survive. The rule of survival is that you keep moving. And that's why we see these people coming over the border. They're moving for survival. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's embarrassing that we still have people here in this country that would even see that as anything but would see that and assume that they're leaving out of privilege, that they're leaving here leaving to um, absorb and manipulate our resources here when they are just trying to survive. Right. We need to be a nation of compassion. We need to be a country of full of empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, uh, that piece, uh, from last year, and it, it 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 still sticks to me. Yeah, and this was one poem that I did memorize, and um, it, it was not hard to memorize because of how hard it hit me. And this was one piece I thought about reading at the Border Patrol agent, but I couldn't uh-huh. because I was scared. Mm-hmm. That was me being being fearful, mm-hmm. and. Oh, but needing to be cautious for safety. I mean, there's a, a lot at stake. Yeah, and and this is, this speaks volumes of the ways in which people like me uh, have to operate in in the seams of this country because we don't fit the model body of what it means to be an American to a lot of these neo um, neo Nazi alt right parties that are now just thriving in in many communities. Mm-hmm. I still have my art, I still have my pen, and I sure as hell still have my rice. And one day I know that we'll all be hungry together, sharing a bowl of it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Rice in a whole new perspective and much more to learn about it, what it really means. 
That's beautiful. Well, Julio Montavo Valentin, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. Listeners, I know that you are really glad to hear this, to think about this, to send wishes of happy birthday to Julio, to look for his book coming in late 2018 through Night Ballet Press. And along the way, let's say thanks to Daniel Smith because he produces the show that allowed you to actually hear the conversation. (laughs) Thanks, Daniel. Thank Julio. Thank listeners. Buy books. And listeners, we will talk again. So long, listeners.